morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, December 8th. Thousands of catalytic converter thefts. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors voted 3-2 to two on Tuesday to continue the local health COVID-19 pandemic emergency order. During the Tuesday presentation, County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten said the county is still experiencing increased case rates, with the Delta virus variant being predominant. Wooten added that while the Omicron variant hasn't been detected in the county, she says it's only a matter of time before it will. 18 states, including California, have already reported cases involving the Omicron variant. The San Diego County District Attorney has filed felony charges against 10 people in connection with violence that broke out at a pro-Trump rally in San Diego last January. The DA's office says the defendants had ties to Antifa. Some are asking why the DA didn't also file charges against Trump supporters who were violent that day. But the DA says the majority of the violence was caused by Antifa-affiliated defendants. If convicted, the defendants could face up to 10 years in prison. The San Diego Unified School District is closer to naming a new superintendent. After eight months of reviewing candidates, the district's advisory committee now has a list of 10 people for the board to interview. Committee Chairman Christopher Rice Wilson says all candidates were pressed on their plans for dealing with the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. I would project we'll be in a pandemic in January when they take the helm. They will have to deal with that and they will have to deal with parents' dissatisfaction. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. <laughs> it's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Thousands of catalytic converters have been reported stolen from cars in San Diego County. Surveillance videos show thieves getting away with the converter before anyone notices. KPBS's Tanya Thorne takes a closer look at how this is happening. They're being dubbed cat burglars, but they're not after your jewels. Their target, catalytic converters, a part found underneath cars that reduces their harmful emissions. Thieves stole catalytic converters from Vista resident Amanda Hendricks twice. The first time, her converter was stolen three days before Christmas. Thankfully, the um, insurance took care of it. They told the police came. They told us park it in the driveway under a light that will discourage. So we did it, everything they said. Um, then April came along, and happened again. 
This time, her ring camera got footage of the theft happening. Her car was jacked up and the converter stolen in under four minutes. It's very frustrating. I'm a light sleeper anyway. And then it just, it adds a level of anxiety that, you know, you, you feel like those are your private things, you know, and to have somebody coming and damaging it, taking it apart, you know, and it just, it felt like such a violation. And she's not the only one. This year, more than 1,500 converter thefts have been reported in San Diego. Cameras have captured thefts happening in broad daylight in public places. But why have catalytic converters become a hot commodity? The parts contain platinum and rhodium, and the price per ounce for these precious metals has gone up in the last year. Toyota Prius converters contain more of these metals, making them the biggest targets. And they're cutting them anywhere from here to there, wherever they can, and uh, run off with them, put them in the trunk and leave, you know. Tony English owns Wholesale Performance Muffler in Escondido. He says he sees cars whose converters have been stolen every week, especially after the weekend. They steal the catalytic converters and they sell them to recyclers, you know. Uh, most of the legit recyclers won't buy them, but there are, uh, you know, they, they trickle it down somehow and they get them sold somewhere. Some insurances do cover stolen catalytic converters, but they don't cover the shield that protects the converter from theft. And that is a Prius shield to keep from stealing a Prius catalytic converter. English says he's installing more of them. Priuses, for instance, are $3,600 just in parts when somebody steals your catalytic converter. So a $500 shield really sounds like a really good investment, you know. While the shields protect the converter, law enforcement is trying to crack down on the thefts happening across the county. What's happening before is if someone was contacted with um, catalytic converters, say, in the middle of the night, and we didn't, we weren't able to link them to a crime, that was, you know, what we we believe was stolen property, but um, we needed a victim to, you know, file a case, matched up to a car. Lieutenant Bode Barrett with the Escondido Police Department says the district attorney's office has given police the green light to start making arrests. In speaking with the district attorney's office, they're saying there is no other reason to have these things in the middle of the night. Um, and they are stolen property. So we have the probable cause to make that arrest and they will file on those cases. Lieutenant Barrett says since no arrests were being made due to the pandemic, thieves were getting bold. So bold that in August, thieves stole a catalytic converter from an Escondido Police Department van. Surveillance footage helped police catch the thieves. Tula Vista was able to make a stop on that vehicle about four days later. Um, there were some catalytic converters in that vehicle at the time. Um, unfortunately, because of the time frame difference between the, the, the days, uh, we didn't get a, a conviction on our case, but I mean, the, the person was uh, contacted by law enforcement. Police departments have also hosted events where community members can get their catalytic converters engraved with their VIN number in case it is ever stolen. Officials recommend parking your vehicle inside a garage or in a well-lit area, getting security cameras and alarms, and consider getting a cat shield to protect the converter. And that was KPBS's Tanya Thorne. San Diego City Council member Jen Campbell is under fire over her staff members' involvement in the process of drawing new council districts. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says critics want an investigation. 
For months, San Diego's Independent Redistricting Commission has been debating how to redraw the city's nine city council districts. In October, it looked as if Campbell would be drawn into a new district, meaning she'd have to move to run for re-election. That's when her senior policy advisor, Seamus Kennedy, started proposing maps that wouldn't require her to move. Campbell says she didn't ask him to do that, but a nonprofit group last week asked the city attorney's office to investigate the matter. The office responded, saying they'll look into it, but that everyone has a right to engage in the redistricting process as a private citizen. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. The city council approved a new community plan for Barrio Logan on Tuesday. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim tells us it's an update that's more than 40 years in the making. Barrio Logan, the heart of San Diego's Chicano and Latino community, could soon have a new community plan that lays out where homes and businesses can be built in the future. It's been 43 years since the plan was last updated. Councilmember Vivian Moreno, who represents Barrio Logan, says it shouldn't have taken this long. The adoption of the Barrio Logan Community Plan update is a major accomplishment. The residents of Barrio Logan have long desired to have a modern community plan, and the fruit of their labor is before us today. Segregated and redlined in the early 20th century, only to have freeways and bridges tear through its center in the 1960s, Barrio Logan now has some of the highest rates of asthma in the state. For longtime activists and residents, the new plan is a way of building a more equitable future and addressing that past. Naomi Sanchez grew up and lives in Barrio Logan. It does not make up for all of the years of injustice, but it's definitely a better step moving forward for our communities and our future generations. The extensive plan includes changing the zoning for a 65-acre area in the community. This would create a transitional buffer zone between where people live and heavy industrial activities. In 2013, an updated community plan containing the buffer zone was approved. But then maritime businesses funded a referendum the next year, which scrapped the entire plan. This time, however, the maritime industry is on board. And for the first time in the city's history, the new plan also contains anti-displacement measures, including requiring 15 percent affordable housing in new developments and providing priority to new housing for Barrio Logan residents. Something that Sanchez, a Barrio Logan resident, knows will impact her and others in the community. It definitely will give people the tranquility of knowing they're going to have somewhere to live next month. Mark Steele is the chair of the Barrio Logan Community Planning Group. He credits the plan's ability to move forward with the agreement reached just last year. Where we are today is a result of a successful negotiation between the Environmental Health Coalition, the shipbuilding industry, ship repair industry, and the Barrio Logan Planning Group to create a memorandum of understanding that outlined all the details of uses that were allowed and not allowed in the transitions. The city council will review the plan again in January before sending it to the Coastal Commission sometime next year. And that was KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim. Tuesday marked the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor that drew the United States into World War II. A ceremony to commemorate the occasion was held aboard the USS Midway Museum. KPBS's John Carroll 
was there. Aboard the Midway, the two-bell ceremony, remembering Pearl Harbor vets no longer with us. And the playing of taps. fitting tune for Tuesday morning ceremony, the first one where none of San Diego's dwindling number of Pearl Harbor survivors were able to attend. USS Midway Museum Marketing Director Dave Kuntz. They were the ones that always kept the message that we should never forget. We think it's incumbent upon ourselves, the generations of today, to continue to deliver that message so that America is always ready because we never know what's going to happen. John Carroll, KPBS News. Coming up, what do you do when there's a shortage of school bus drivers? I'm happy they brought in the National Guard drivers. One feels more secure. They seem more prepared, but that's just me. We'll have more on the many, many things the National Guard troops are being asked to do. That's next, just after the break. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. The National Guard is being tasked with a growing number of missions. They're not just fighting wars overseas, but also responding to natural disasters, protests, and the pandemic at home. In some states, they've even been asked to drive school buses. Critics say all those deployments are straining the force. Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project. On a recent weekday in Chelsea, Massachusetts, Jaime Carrillo waited on his front porch for the van service that takes his son to school. The wait was shorter than it was earlier in the year, when a driver shortage crippled the school district's transportation system. I had to take him to school for three weeks because the school bus didn't go by. I had to get out of work to do it because I'd go in at eight. They told me there were problems. There weren't enough drivers. First, the bus had to drop off one group of kids, then pick up another. That changed when the governor of Massachusetts called the National Guard to fill in. For a time, Carrillo's son was greeted by a uniformed military member behind the wheel. Carrillo told WBUR that he appreciated how reliable they were. I'm happy they brought in the National Guard drivers. One feels more secure. They seem more prepared, but that's just me. The bus driver deployment is just one example of how the National Guard's role has expanded. Since last year, National Guard troops have been deployed repeatedly, not only by the president, but also by governors, who called them up to assist with pandemic relief, 
respond to last summer's protests, and patrol the southern border, all while balancing wildfires, hurricanes, and duties overseas. Some state guard leaders say troops enjoy the domestic missions because they can directly serve their neighbors. But they argue that back-to-back mobilizations aren't sustainable. General James Eifert heads the Florida National Guard. When you think about that impact on families and employers, it's pretty significant. And then you add in the challenges in the middle of a pandemic when there's so much uncertainty and and, uh, moms and dads are pulled away from, from kids and families. Eifert says Florida needs more guard troops so it can rotate them and relieve the strain. His counterparts in Texas and California are making similar arguments. Texas Republican Tony Gonzalez is among more than 40 members of Congress asking the Defense Department to allocate more National Guard troops to bigger states or make the Guard larger across the board. I think it's so important that we increase the bottom line, we increase the overall manpower and health of uh, the Guard uh, to make sure that those that, that have been doing the heavy lifting get their batteries recharged. The Defense Department decides how to distribute National Guard troops based on budgets passed by Congress. Retired Army Colonel Mike Linick once managed that process for the Army and now works as a defense analyst for the RAND Corporation. He's not hearing much discussion within the Pentagon about increasing the size of the Guard for domestic missions. He says that's probably because the Guard's main purpose is national defense, not responding to governor's requests. I do think that there's an active debate amongst a lot of stakeholders about whether or not there are alternatives available to the governor that might be better suited for a long-term shift in those kinds of patterns than repeated requirements being placed on the Guard. Linick argues the conversation should be more about how governors use their guards, not how many Guard troops they have to use. He worries that the Guard's ever-expanding list of duties will drive people away from serving. What we've observed in the past is that the more often you call on reserves and reserve units to be used, the more pressures you have on retention because the soldiers themselves often say, this isn't really what I signed up for. If I'd have wanted to be deployed this much or employed this much, I would have joined the regular army. Linux says it's unlikely the Pentagon will put a lot more money into the Guard relative to its other funding demands, like active duty troops and equipment. State leaders say they'll keep lobbying Congress and the Pentagon to help fund the Guard's growing responsibilities. I'm Carson Frame in San Antonio. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.